Good morning and welcome. Hallelujah, death is beaten. Christ has risen from the grave. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed our worship today. I always enjoy it, but I don't know. It just seemed like all the right songs for me anyway. <laughs> hey, let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 9. As we move through the book of Revelation, I don't know if you're reading in advance, but uh, as Margie got up this morning, I was already downstairs, and she said, where are we today? And I said, Revelation chapter 9. And she read it, and she said, good luck with that one. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's why I get up early and pray. <clears throat> I'll read, you can follow, verse 1 of chapter 9. We're told that then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. To them were given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it, for they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads were crowns something like gold, their faces were like the faces of men, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings like the sound of chariots and many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek it is Apollyon. Now one woe is past. Behold, two more woes, still two more woes are coming, after these things, and then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which, which are before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen and the uh, was 200 million, and I heard uh, the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, uh, and those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, uh, uh, hyacinth uh, blue and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses uh, were like the heads of lions. Uh, out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. We'll explain what these actually are. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. 
and by the fire and the smoke, the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power, for the, for their power in their mouth was in their tails. Their tails were like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, brass and stone and wood, uh, which, came neither, <coughs> which can neither uh, see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or of their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. So that's why Margie said good luck with that one. <laughs> Lord, we, uh, we come to you this morning. And Lord, uh, we get a glimpse here of a future day. And Lord, uh, it is a time that you, Lord, deem as a time that's filled with woe. And we realize, Lord, it's a time of great judgment that's come upon the earth. And Lord, uh, we're thankful, Father, for the, the offer of salvation. Lord, we're thankful that we're counted worthy to escape these things that are coming upon the world. And our worthiness, Lord, has been gifted to us. Lord, our righteousness, our holiness. It doesn't come from within ourselves, but it comes from you. And you place it within us. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And we pray, Father, as we, Lord, look at this incredible, horrible future time, that, Lord, you would give us understanding. Lord, help us, we pray, also. Lord, always when we come to the word of God, where there's application. So help us, Lord, we pray, Lord, to not only understand these things, but, Lord, uh, to be a part of, Lord, your preemptive plan. Lord, your preemptive plan is the gospel that's, that will save people from this yet horrible future time. And Lord, uh, we're thankful that there is rescue, that there is hope, that there is help. But Lord, it's only to be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, no other way, there's no other name under heaven whereby, Lord, a person must be saved. And Lord, we pray, Father, Lord, uh, as this message goes out to us as we read it, and Lord, it will go out on radio in the days ahead. And Father, we pray for those who would hear your truth, that you would grant opportunity to repent. Lord, to commit our life to you. And to thank you, Lord, for the great and glorious salvation that we find in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we entitled uh, our message this morning, When Hell is Unleashed. And that's exactly what's taking place here. Thus far, uh, we've, needed, we've seen a number of uh, separate judgments. There's actually been 10 of them. Uh, but they have been directed specifically toward the physical and the material world. Uh, when we look at these particular judgments here, they're directed toward humanity. Um, and, and it's interesting that as we look at these things, you know, as these judgments, each one of them, there's a space obviously between each one of the judgments as they started out in chapter 6. Uh, starting out with the seal judgments, now we're in what is referred to as the trumpet judgments. Uh, there has been a space of time. 
And, uh, and it seems to be as, you know, as each one would subside, uh, people would try to get back to the normalcy of their life. Um, but uh, during this time of judgment, uh, even though, you know, we're, we're, we seem to be great at sort of developing what we, we, what we call this new normal. You know, as we go through, as, you know, 9-11 took place and all of a sudden, um, you know, we realized that life was going to change forever. And uh, there's this new normal. Um, and, uh, and as people try to get back to their lives and they just sort of, you know, business as usual, um, it's not going to be. Because what they're simply trying to do here is they're um, ignoring the warnings of God. Each one of these judgments uh, is a warning from God. I think God does things like that in, you know, in, our, in our present day world. Not horrible judgments like that, but judgments of a sort that touch the lives of, of maybe a person or a certain group of people uh, to cause them uh, to look outside themselves and to turn to God. And that's, that's, the, that's the purpose, you know, if, we're, if a person perhaps maybe uh, is not willing to, you know, hear and respond to the gospel, God, you know, in his grace and in his love, he has to allow things to unfold and take place that really grab our attention in a very powerful and a very strong way where we realize that this is too big for me. Uh, this is an impossible situation. I need something more. And we start looking outside of ourselves and we realize, you know, to a degree, people can only help us so much. Uh, but the Lord is there. The Lord is there to reach out to us and to, and to help us. And you may be the very person that tells somebody and informs somebody of that very blessed truth, that the Lord is there available and ready uh, to reach out and to help us. Now, the Bible warns us about that there are demonic beings that are set on our demise. Um, they function you know, in and around us in this invisible, rather spiritual realm. Um, and I think, you know, when you, when you think about the, the devil and all of his uh, deeds and what he has done throughout history, um, he is, in a sense, the best-kept secret because uh, he has kind of hid himself. Um, you know, uh, interesting how he is so incredibly active, not just, in a sense, by himself, but he, you know, we're, we're, the Bible tells us that he has taken... Um, millions, hundreds of millions of, of angelic creatures with him in the rebellion, in the fall. Uh, and so he, you know, with his, in his, with his cohorts it, it are always working in networking uh, together uh, for the demise and the fall of mankind. Um, and because we, but because we can't see them or, you know, but we see the effects of them, we see the impact of demonic activity taking place uh, in our world. And we see that uh, that's what's taking place here uh, in uh, chapter 9. But, you know, when man deliberately rejects Scripture, um, uh, he has to somehow um, find somewhere to point the finger, to put the blame. Uh, when we, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of blame taking place this week after uh, this horrible shooting that took place uh, down in, in Florida. And... Uh, it caught our attention right away because our daughter and her family used to live there. And we visited them in that community there. And there was a little, little church there that they were in attendance um, in, that, uh, in that little uh, part, that little suburb there of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and so we see here, uh, you know, this, this young man that's been, uh, you know, um, diagnosed with different, uh, you know, mental 
uh, challenges and difficulties and so forth, and that he's been on drugs, and now the fact that he's been off of drugs. Well, I'll tell you what, it's bigger than that. It's, it's more than that. It's more than just one person. It's one person who is inspired by the demonic realm. And that's what we see this time and time and time again. And yes, these people are screwballs. There's no doubt about that. But, but it, the full force of it, is you can't just lay it at mental instability. I, I, I believe, I am convinced that mental instability is the result of sin. It, it's the re result of pa sinful patterns that are, that are continued in a person's life for year after year. And when, when sin is practiced to such a deep degree, that's when the devil comes in. That, that's when the devil gets involved to a certain degree. Um, as far as, you know, the, the, our, our adversary is always ready and willing to suggest, you know, the Bible says, that, you know, that we have a, you know, a, a certain protection, a blessed protection. Uh, you know, John chapter 5 says the wicked one touches us not. But we see he also tells us in that same chapter that the world is under the sway or the influence of the wicked one. And that's to many different degrees. That's not in any way saying that everybody's demon-possessed. That's extreme. That's a very extreme statement. But the unregenerate mind, the unbelieving person, can be influenced by the demonic realm much more than they ever realize. And that's why we're told to, you know, to be praying. Um, that, that's one of the great weapons that we have as we pray for someone, as we pray against these demonic influences. You know, Paul speaks about them. He refers to them as principalities and powers in spiritual realms, in heavenly places. Um, and, and it's important that we understand that. Not that we see the devil behind every tree and in everything, but we need to realize that there is a malignant being uh, called the devil. Uh, there is a malignant, you know, uh, army of individuals, you know, that are, that are basically at his command, uh, doing his work, uh, basically trying to, you know, stop anything that God wants to do. Uh, we, we're not to live in fear of that, uh, but we're to be aware of that. We need to understand that we live in a spiritual realm. It isn't just, uh, it isn't just a material realm. That, that's the deception. Because if you're an unbeliever, then you've got to find cause and effect within this material realm alone. But when we understand the Bible, we realize the cause, the source, uh, what's at the seed of why people sometimes, you know, do certain things. Now, he says here, uh, a star has fallen, in verse 1, from heaven to earth to him, uh, and it's a him. And oftentimes, uh, the stars are used metaphorically or figuratively of angel beings, Okay. And so we're seeing here an angel here fall uh, to earth, and to him was given this uh, key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Uh, now again, I, wanted to, I want to stress that in this age, you know, we have, you know, basically the devil, he may be at work, but he has limitations. You know, he has certain limitations, and God has put those limitations on him. But as we come to chapter 9, which is roughly around the middle point of the tribulation, uh, it seems to be those limitations are taken off him. 
Uh, he, you know, hell is basically being unleashed here. And what we see here in this, what John describes as locust, you know, coming out of the pit uh, and, and sort of just darkening the atmosphere, what he's describing here is a demonic invasion. These are demonic spirits uh, that John here is, is seeing and recognizing. And it's, a, it's an invasion on a grand scale. Um, I think it also, too, it, it represents, you know, God, one of the things that we find in the Bible, that God gives people ultimately what they want. Uh, he uses the term in a sense of turning them over, giving them over. In other words, if, some, if, if, if a people, a nation, individual, whatever, does not want God, God strives with them, the Bible says. He strives and he strives with, the, with individuals and cultures and societies, sometimes for years. But there's a point where he just sort of, he turns them over. He lets them have what they want to have. And basically, the tribulation period, this time of judgment, God is basically saying, you don't want me. You see, what happens is when we, when we have basically driven God out of the culture, and we've done that. I was thinking about it, you know, we've driven prayer out of school in 1963. We've driven the Bible out of school. How many times have our kids um, have been taken to the office because they had a witness t-shirt on? Or they, wanted to, they were talking to somebody about the Bible, and all of a sudden they find themselves in the counselor's office or the principal's office. And what's happened is we have driven God out of the school. So look what happens. We've driven him, in a sense, out of our culture, out of our public life. No, I'm not talking about us, you know, individually. Praise God for the church that's still here, you know, that we're salt, that we're light, that hopefully we're, we're making a difference in a society, basically, that doesn't want God. But when we get to this time period, God has taken his hands off. He is giving people, he's turning people over to the self-will and the self-determination that they want. But the problem is, when, when, when people don't want God, they don't really realize what's, what's ahead. They don't realize that with, you know, that a lot of people think, well, you know, I don't want God. But how is it, I, I find it interesting that people don't want God, but how come everybody wants heaven? I, I don't get it. Everybody assumes that, you know, that there's this wonderful place where God is, uh, that I'm going to spend my eternity there you know, running down rose petal paths and, you know, sitting on clouds and just having a good time with all my friends. But for those people that really don't want him in this life, there's not going to be a heaven. And what God has, that place that, the only other place that is left is a place that's called hell. And a lot of people don't realize that that is going to be without Christ. That becomes their future. Unfortunately, that becomes their destination. Do you know that the, the origin of self-will is with Satan? And it was really, we, we, we see, a, the Bible gives profiles uh, about the devil. I don't know if you know that. The Bible gives us two profiles. One's in Isaiah 14, the other's in Ezekiel 28. But I want to just read something to you in Isaiah 14, that what made this beautiful covering cherub, angel, by the name of Lucifer, what made him a devil? Verse 12 of Isaiah 14, Isaiah here speaks prophetically right to Satan because it was a prophecy about the king of Babylon. 
And what, what, the, what the Spirit is speaking to is what was behind the king of Babylon. Over in Ezekiel 28, it's the king of Tyre. But it was what motivated the king of Tyre. What, what you know, the, the powerful spirit behind him was Satan. And, and that, that's what happens, I think, in many cases uh, throughout history when you look at some of the world leaders, some of the horrible individuals, you know, some of the guys like uh, Hitler, uh, some of the Caesars, uh, Stalin, Idi Amin, uh, these men, you know, these very violent, evil men, Satan is behind them. And But he says here, uh, the spirit of prophecy speaks right to the devil. He says, how, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you have been cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart. And these are what is referred to the five I wills of Satan. The five I wills. He says, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the, the stars of God. In other words, he wanted to be better than God. And the interesting thing is he was created perfect. That, that's what Ezekiel 28 tells us. He was created perfect until iniquity was found in him. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. But Isaiah says, yet you shall be brought down to, the, to Sheol, to the grave, and to the lowest depths of the pit. You see, he wanted to be like God. Remember, that's what he said to our first parents in the garden. You shall be, you shall be like God. And there's something that appeals to us in that. And it's basically this. What makes, what makes a person's life, you know, and a lot of times we, we, don't, we don't understand it. We don't see the di spiritual dynamics in it because you know, spiritually we're kind of blind to those kind of things. But when we're, when we're full of self-determination and self-will, we have no idea where it's going to take us, where it's going to lead us. But sometimes we find out, don't we? Where our self-will decisions and choices can take us. We didn't think they would take us there. You see, God knows best. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said, uh, when it came to the cross and to the suffering and to the, the, the challenge of all of that, he said, Father, not my will be done. See, Jesus was, was fully human, but fully divine. That was the wonderful, incredible mystery of the incarnation. Fully human, but fully divine. But he said, Father, not my will be done, but thine be done. And you see, that's, isn't that the challenge for all of us as we, as we go through life day, day by day, making choices, make decisions that are not basically selfish, they're not driven by our, our desires for pleasure or for entertainment or thinking that perhaps maybe this is going to make me more happy or more fulfilled or more satisfied. Folks, what is going to make us more satisfied is doing the will of God, is yielding ourselves. And, and listen, I want to tell you, that's not easy. I know it's not easy because I'm made out of the same stuff that you're made out of. And I've got a will. And, and I'll tell you what, and I always, I always appreciate uh, um, Oswald Chambers because he said, that's the last thing to go. You know, we can, we, can, we can sometimes do things for God. We can give money to God. But I'll tell you what, it's that self-will, isn't it? 
It's that thing, that little tyrant on the throne deep down, <laughs> you know, deep down in our lives. It's like, like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> and it's like, you know, no, I don't want to do it, you know, kind of a thing. Let somebody else do it. I don't want to do it. And, and there's that tendency, you know, deep down. But on the outside, we're real nice. We're real sweet. We, 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 you know, we, there, there's things in us, folks, that just, they need to die. A lot of people don't realize that's what Christianity is about. That's what Christianity is about. Death to self. Why is it when we first get saved, we go down in that water and get baptized? It, it was a signify. I'm dying. I'm dying to the old life. But not only that, not only that, I'm dying to self. Dying to self. That's the challenge. The, 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 you know, we're, we, I think oftentimes and very easily we see the negative in sinful behavior. But there's a whole other category of selfish behavior that, that may not be, it may not be sinful. It just may be self-gratifying and selfish. And, and when we find at junctures and at times in our lives that God is saying, hey, that has, you have to give that up to me. You have to give that up to me. Oh, but Lord, it, 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 it's not outwardly bad. Do you go through these little debates too with God? It's not outwardly bad. Sister and brother, so-and-so, we're doing it. But I don't want you to do it. And then out of the smoke, verse 3, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, again, this is where it gets symbolic. These are not real locusts. These are not real scorpions. These are demonic entities. But it resembles, as they, as they fly out of the abyss, John sees the vision, and it resembles like a cloud of locusts, if you've ever um, maybe been in a, in a plague of locusts and that sort of thing. And... Uh, you know, remember, remember when Jesus uh, faced off with the demoniac in Gadara? And uh, he speaks right to the man in Luke chapter 8. Uh, excuse me, he speaks through the man to the demon. And, and the man is a, an absolute mess. Remember, he, he cut himself and he lived in the tombs and he was naked. And he come up like a screaming madman out of his mind to Jesus. And he fell down right before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the spirit that was in that man, that, that demonic spirit. And he says, what is your name? He wasn't speaking to the man. And the demon said, we are legion, for we are many. And they began to beg Jesus to not send them to the pit. Because that's where these things are coming out of, the abyss. They didn't want to go there. They don't want to be consigned to the pit. They still wanted some kind of freedom. And remember the story? Jesus commanded them to go into the pigs. And that's where we get deviled ham. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> and what did they do? They sort of committed, you know, pig suicide. But I'll tell you what, that, that's insightful because... When Satan's working in someone's life, they're suicidal. 
they are suicidal. Because why? The Bible, Jesus identifies Satan as what? A murderer. He's a murderer. Now they're commanded not to harm the environment. We saw that before in some of the other judgments. So they're commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, the green thing, any tree, but only those men who have not the seal of God, you know, in their foreheads. Now they have access here basically to unbelievers. You know that unbelievers, even in this age, have a certain limited protection? They are. But it won't be so then. Remember we were talking about that when we were in a previous study, uh, that, that when you come to Jesus Christ, when the spirit of the living God comes into you, you're sealed. It not only speaks of ownership. Now, you can't see it, we can't see it, but I'll tell you what, the devil can see it. The holy angels can see it. That you have this seal upon your life, you're owned by God, and you know what, furthermore, you're protected. Amen to that? You, you are wonderfully protected. And that's why the Bible says, the wicked one touches you not. And that's a wonderful blessing and, and privilege because you know what? You belong to him. And that's why you want, you, you got to get Christ in your life. The unbeliever does not realize how vulnerable and how open that they are to the enemy messing with their lives. And so they were not given authority, verse 5, to kill them, but to torment them for five months, 150 days. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Uh, I don't know if you've ever bitten by, bitten by a scorpion. When we were in Arizona, uh, there was a number of scorpions all around. Uh, uh, the houses have to get treated in a certain kind of a way at the, at the entryway and under the windows. And just a couple months ago, our little... Um, uh, Grandson, uh, Gavin, got bit by a scorpion. And the little ones are actually much more uh, poisonous than the bigger ones. But when the venom, uh, a scorpion bite gets, you know, you, you're basically, you're, you're, you're paralyzed for basically, semi-paralyzed for about 24 hours. And it's your, basically your whole body, you go into a fever and so forth. And there's not a whole lot you can do for it. It just kind of has to work its way. Uh, there's not too, many, not too many antidotes that really work. Uh, on that, so you can imagine as these people uh, are are impacted again. Um, they're made. They're allowed. God has made them vulnerable, and God has given the power to these demon spirits to torment these individuals. Not kill them, but torment them, in the hopes. In the hopes that they might turn to God. That's why Jesus said, "You know what? It's better to earn, enter into eternal life." than to lose one of your limbs. And sometimes it's interesting when we lose something. Sometimes when we lose our freedom. Sometimes when there's a great loss in our life. It begins to make us assess, you know, really what's going on in our lives. What's happening? You know, somebody loses something maybe that's been a part of their, you know, part of their whole adult life. Sometimes to lose something can actually be a gift. I've seen people when they've, they've, they've lost a marriage or they've lost their job, they've lost their health. And of course, they're unfortunate things. 
but how I've seen the grace of God to come in to comfort them, to come in to rescue them. That's why I pay attention when people are going through, through crises. You, you may be the one that God wants to use to bring alongside them and encourage them and help them to work through a, a very difficult time. Now it says, in those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. You know, death basically will take a holiday, um, but it's only for a very short period of time. And uh, imagine people trying to commit suicide and they can't. Actually, that's a blessing. I am surprised more recently at the suicide rate in our country. And I think that one of the components in that whole suicide thing, maybe at the source of it, You see, we live in such a culture and a society that it's gotten so easy, so soft. So painless. That when pain comes into someone's life, they can't handle it. And, and they think if they take their life, which is another lie from Satan, that somehow they're going to end the pain. And little do they realize. We were in Clifton Spring, Springs years ago. We lived there and not far behind our house, right down in the woods. We lived right, right behind our house was the was a school bus garage. The school wasn't very far. And um, right down the hill, a wooded area, a young gal, 15, 16 years old, I took a pistol and shot herself in the heart. And when you live in a community like that, you pretty much, you almost know everybody. And I've often thought, you know, for, for those poor souls, tortured souls that take their life, what it must be like for them to realize what they've done. I would imagine if you ask anybody two minutes after they commit suicide, if they'd want their life back, and they would tell you, yes, yes, yes. And sometimes we know some of these folks. We know a little bit about them or enough about them to, to realize they might be contemplating that. We need to reach out to them. There is hope in Christ. There is hope in God. Who knows that maybe one thing that you and I might say can breathe a little bit of hope and encouragement into their situation and into their life. And the shape of the locusts, the demons, actually, was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. Uh, John here basically, uh, uh, through 7 uh, and 10, he is uh, describing for us what these, what these creatures uh, actually look like. They have uh, women's hair, 
And their teeth are like lion's head breastplates of, of iron, and the sound of their wings was like chariots and horses running to battle. Uh, and their tails um, were like scorpions, and their stings were in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. The thing is, one of the things about demonic entities, they're very deceptive. You know, the Bible says that, you know, Satan comes as what? An angel of light. He comes as a holy angel. He comes and presents himself as something good. But his secret intention and motivation is basically to destroy somebody. I mean, he is the ultimate deceiver in what he does. And uh, um, we, need to be, we need to be mindful of that. You know, the Bible says we need to be mindful of the devices of our enemy, his strategies, his devices, the things that he does to deceive people. So many people today are being deceived by an invisible spiritual being, you know, some demonic agency that, you know, these, these, you know when it says faces, faces like men, that speaks of their intelligence. And the hair like women speaks of their ability to transform themselves and to beautify themselves. I think when people sit in these, these seances, and they call upon, they're calling upon, you know, some, what they think is a good spirit to channel and to help them to get in touch with their deceased relative. And all of a sudden, there's a presence in the room. And it takes on a voice. And we know from Scripture that when someone is in eternity... That there's no contact back with us. There's a great gulf that's fixed. They're there. We're here. So who do you think shows up? It's a demon. You don't think a demon can modify its voice and speak just like, you know, Aunt Nellie? Uncle Fred? And that poor person is so deceived. Oh, my goodness. We made contact. No, you didn't. He's a great deceiver. Powerful deceptions that, that draw people into occultic practices. It's, it's, it's basically witchcraft. But it's all been New Age repackaged. It's all repackaged. It's not a demon spirit anymore. It's a spirit guide to help you to destroy you. We need to understand that. God's trying to protect us. You know, I think that during the 1960s, that the New Age occultism uh, and the interest of the occult has just sort of grown from that time exponentially. And it was because of the LSD, mescaline, you know, all those uh, hallucinogenic drugs that all of a sudden opened people up. Open people up to the spiritual realm. And it just, you know, it seems so wonderful. And just drawing people in, ultimately to destroy them. I remember one time, my friend, friend of mine gave me some LSD. And it was a, it was a small tab 
and I took it. And it just seemed like, oh, so, so wonderful. It wasn't really strong. It just wasn't a real strong kind of a thing where, you know, I wasn't really necessarily, I didn't see anything. But you know what happened around that same period? 1965, laying on my sofa, my parents weren't home, and all of a sudden, I'm having an out-of-body experience. I wasn't remotely even thinking of anything like that. And when it started happening to me, I knew I was coming out of my body and looking around the room, and it freaked me out. It scared me. And all I can remember saying is, is to myself, no, no, no. I was screaming in my spirit. And I could barely hear a little groan coming out of my mouth. And all I remember is I just went back, my spirit went back into my body like a giant rubber band. And I got up and I was scared. You see, there's a whole other realm out there that's appealing to people. You know, you got life is full of its struggles and challenges and difficulties. And that's why people become chemically dependent. I want to get away. But they don't know what they're getting away from and what they're getting into. Powerful. Now we see in verse 11, they had this as a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew is Avedon, uh, and in Greek it's Apollyon, which basically both of them mean destroyer. And the question is, who is this chief angel? It's Lucifer. It's the devil himself. He's going to be cast down, but you see right now he's the prince and the power of the air, the Bible tells us. He's presently occupying heavenly places. Remember in the book of Job, he has access to the throne of God. And he kind of shows up, you know, there... We, we saw the conversation between God and, and uh, the devil regarding Job. You, you see, he falls from heaven with the key to open the pit. He's not in the pit. This is the devil himself. Now what we see here, remember at the end of chapter 8, three woes we saw last week that were going to be pronounced. Well, the first, let's see, we're told here in verse 12, the, fir, uh, the woe is, one woe is past, behold, still, there are two more woes that are coming after these things. Now, what does the word woe mean? It means heartbreak and misery. And that's what's taking place in the world for these poor creatures, individuals that are under this. So that first woe that we looked at, uh, really quite a humdinger, um, lasting five months. Woe number two is more lethal. And we find that in the sixth trumpet judgment in verse 13, the angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the altar, which is before God. Now remember the brazen altar in the tabernacle. It was basically a replica of this altar that basically is in heaven. Uh, but the altar is the place where sins were judged. Okay, uh, the brazen altar had four horns on the corners of it, and basically it was a fire pit. And it was when the, the sacrifices were, 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 were slain 
that that's where they basically were judged by fire. And what we see here is basically this voice from heaven, from the altar, releasing this judgment. Because you know what? <laughs> if, if man is not going to allow their sins to be judged on the cross, you see, the cross is the altar. That's the altar where all the sins of the world were judged. And if people don't want that, if they don't want to have their sins judged and be given the gift of eternal life and be given the gift of salvation, well, all that's left is judgment. See, if a person doesn't want their sins judged by Christ on the cross, then they have to take it themselves. But the good news of the gospel is you don't have to take it. Receive salvation. Receive Christ. It's a free gift. And here's the thing the devil tells everybody when, they, when they, the, the gospel is presented to them. If I become a Christian, I can't have any more fun. Listen, I want to tell you what. All the fun that I used to have before I knew Jesus, man, I'm glad that fun's over. Because for the last 40-some years, I've had a pretty awesome life. I've had a great life. That's why Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. John chapter 10, verse 10. And so what we see here, uh, verse 14, that these, uh, these fallen angels, they're full of vengeance and, and hate. Uh, and saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. In other words, they're bound there. They've been chained, chained there. And it's very possible, according to the scripture, you know, we see in Jude chapter 6, uh, Jude speaks about this. What did I say? Chapter 6, I'm in verse 6. Uh, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, uh, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So what we see here, these angels here that have been no doubt chained and imprisoned there, and perhaps that maybe goes back, and I don't want to get into a whole thing about Genesis chapter 6 and the Nephilim and the giants and all that sort of thing. That's, that's kind of reserved that for our Genesis study. We talked about that in length on that particular study. But I wonder, too, because Euphrates is Mesopotamia. That's the cradle of civilization. That's the Garden of Eden. And perhaps I wonder about this judgment, you know, because you know, this is the place where the human race fell. You know, are these particular angels, were they involved in that? Is that, you know, is, is that possibly why? If it's not, you know, Jude 6, uh, that they left their, their, their domain, were they involved possibly uh, in the demise and the fall of the human race? Uh, is that why they're basically being judged? Is that, was that their part in it, perhaps? And so the four angels who had been prepared for the day, for the, excuse me, for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. So this hour, it's interesting. It's the, when you see the hour, it's the definite article. That, simply that means that this time has been set long ago. And when we get to this particular point, these last two judgments have comprised 18 months. Because we have 13 here, and we got five months before. And the other judgments before that roughly are about two years. So that puts us midpoint now in the tribulation period. Now the number of the army, and again, this is another, this is a second 
invasion. The number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. This large group has oftentimes been associated with Revelation 16:12. And what am I talking about? The kings of the east. And if you remember some of the early prophecy books of the 1970s, and you know what? God used them. But you know what? There was a lot of discrepancies. A lot of discrepancies in those, those, those prophecy books. But they stirred up an interest in prophecy. Because we are. We are in the, we are in the last times, the, the, the last days. Um, and oftentimes, this number here is put together with Revelation 16, the kings of the east. And so we have been told because of back in the 1970s, it was reported that China could field an army of 200 million. And so many of us have believed that this is an army of 200 million Chinese. Faulty reasoning. I'll tell you what, you're hard-pressed to, to, to find any Chinese that look like these guys here, okay? I want you to listen to Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He's a prophecy expert, and uh, he gives a, the proper explanation of what's going on here, and I want you to understand that. Because I, I, every time you've heard 200 million, you've always heard it in relation to 200 million Chinese kings of the East coming to invade Israel. And, and, and here we have in chapter 9 and chapter 16, we have two different situations completely. But listen to Dr. Fruchtenbaum. He said, sensationalism has had a field day with this figure, resulting in some fantastic speculation. In order for this speculation to stand, the 200 million figure must be pulled out of its context. The speculation all rests on current events, and, and that's basically the prophecy writings of the 1970s and 80s. Um, uh, Communist China was once declared that they could field an army of 200 million. Without even so, uh, so much as questioning the truthfulness of this assertion, many have concluded that the 200 million must be a Chinese invasion of the Middle East. The context just will not allow for this. In support of a Chinese invasion, the ones who ad adhere to this theory say that the invasion is led by the kings of the East, that the East must refer to China. Well, first of all, all the kings of the East uh, that are found in chapter 16 are not connected by the text of the 200 million in chapter 9. The kings of the East are part of the bowl judgments, which come later, and the 200 million belong to the trumpet judgments. And so they are not connected in any way the events are separated by a period of time. Furthermore, the consistency of usage requires identifying the kings of the East as referring to Mesopotamian kings rather than to China. So I, I think it's important because I, you know, I have accept, I've accepted that other version. And every time you hear the kings of the East or that you're going to hear that 200 million um, army figure uh, invading the Middle East. So you need to understand that it's not the Chinese, that any time the kings of the East always refer to basically the kings of Mesopotamia and that particular area there. <clears throat> the 200 million are demons, demonic entities being released. And thus I saw the horses in the vision who had, those who sat on them had breastplates, fiery red, um, Hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and out of their mouths uh, came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And again, you can see these are not human. 
Uh, these, are, these are basically uh, demonic. Uh, and by these uh, three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. That's hard for us to believe. Even by today's standards, that's a, million and a, a, a billion and a half people. But what the Bible tells us here, you can, you can bank on it. You can bank on the truthfulness of what the Bible says. A lot of times we think, oh, how can that possibly happen? It will happen. And you know what? It can happen just like that. <laughs> For their power is in their mouth and their tails. And having heads with them, they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues uh, did not repent of the works of their hands. Now, what we have here in verse 20 is we have the reason for all this suffering. It's an unwillingness to turn to God. There's a lot of things that people suffer, even in this life, because they're unwilling to turn to the true and the living God. You see, God wants to help us. Why is, there, why is the Holy Spirit referred to as the helper? He's the great helper. He'll help your marriage. He'll help your sanity. Not that you're going to go crazy in your marriage, but uh, sometimes that happens, I guess. <laughs> I didn't mean to connect those. That just kind of... <laughs> Everything's good between me and Margie. Okay, all right. <laughs> He'll help you in your job. He'll help you raise your children. There's a lot of things that, you know what, they just fall apart in life, and God's just waiting there. I want to help you. I want to help you. No matter what your trial or difficulty or challenge is, he is there. You, want, you need to call upon him. That, that's, our, that's our problem, isn't it? That's our shortage. You know, we think, well, I can do this, no problem. You know, I, I've done enough stupid things in my life where I realize I need to pray about everything. I just need to pray about everything. I need to get up in the morning and you know, pray about my day and my decisions and my choices and, and, and so forth. And I find myself, not only in the morning do I pray, but I pray, all through, I, I pray like these little arrow prayers all day long. I'm always shooting an arrow to, to the Lord, some little prayer. Like, I need it. Maybe you don't need it. Man. I, I'm just a helpless idiot without Jesus. Maybe you knew that. Okay. <laughs> so they did not re repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver, uh, stone, wood, uh, neither, that can neither see nor walk or hear nor walk. Uh, and they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries and their sexual immorality and their thefts. These are a short list here as we close of the things that people worship. Money. Now, money isn't the problem. It's the love of it. But you know what money does? It provides a certain security for us. But you know something? More than money, you need the Lord. Because if you don't have the Lord, you're going to squander your money in the wrong way. That's what happens. You know, you just, you waste it. You waste it on the wrong things because you don't have the right perspective. Uh, materialism. People worship the material world. Uh, the, the, the coveting of things. Oh, I need this. I need this. 
Isn't there, isn't there that thing in us? We're always looking for some, you know, some new thing I need. It's like the temptations are endless. Toyota commercials. No, I've got Toyota. We've got two Toyotas. But there's nothing like that new shiny one. 0 0.9 interest rate. And I have to say, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm going to drive it till it drops. In this material culture, it's endless. And it, what oftentimes is it provokes a coveting in us for something that we really don't need. Pleasure. People love pleasure and the, 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 the entertainments of the world. As soon as people get free time, man, how can I fill my time with some little pleasure? You know, it's a pleasure you get from God. It's a pleasure you can get from just sitting down with your Bible and talking to the Lord. When's, when's the last time you really had those kind of moments that you did that and you need that? You know, he says sorceries here. You know what's the word pharmakia? It's drugs. Look how our culture is a drug-ridden culture. And I don't just mean street drugs. Look at the prescription drugs. What, what was it? Uh, 60, in 2016, 64,000 people died from overdoses. That, that's opioid and heroin and street stuff. 64,000. We, we, we hear it's something like 120 every day. That's probably a, a conservative figure. People worship sex. We are in such a highly sexualized culture and society. You know, the word actually uh, in the Greek here is pornea. And porn is a real problem. Tremendous problem we see that becomes something that captivates our children. The children now, you know, when a lot of us, the older generation, were kids, you had to go to some dirty theater or some special slimy joint where they sold the magazines or if you stole them from your father. But now, a lot of these kids that have smartphones, seven and eight years old, man, the, the, the defiling impact upon their lives. I, I think we need to be so careful, you know, any sexuality outside biblical parameters. Hey, listen, folks. God created the sexual apparatus and sexual pleasure. That's not the problem. It's that when we take it out of that, take it out of the bounds, the boundaries of a, of a, of a right and, and, you know, godly relationship that that's you know it's like fire 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 is great but when you take it out of the fireplace you got problems i want to just read a couple of verses to you and we'll close with this in romans chapter six i think you know this is the answer for you and me this is the answer for you and me it's chapter six and, and verse five 
uh, Paul writing here. I, I just been, I've been reading here um, in these chapters of Romans for the last couple of weeks. And uh, I'm supposed to read a chapter a day, but sometimes I just get kind of, I get kind of hung up because it's so, so rich. Romans is, is a powerful book. He says, for if we have been united together, verse 5 of Romans 6, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, our old self, the old sin nature, the selfish person, the little tyrant, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away. And that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion or power over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, in other words, us, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. It's an accounting term. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members, your body, as instruments of righteousness. For sin, this is for the believer only, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. See, the law was, the law was always, don't do this, don't do that, but it didn't give you any power. See, that's what religion does. I grew up with that. Thou shalt not. That's what the law does. The law just tells you, don't do it. Doesn't give you any power. Grace gives you power. Grace gives you the power of the Holy Spirit. That the things that once dominate us, and I'll tell you what, as a believer, as a believer, things can get into your head and into your heart, and you can become a slave again. There's a lot of slavery going on in our world today. But for the child of God, we have been emancipated. We have been delivered. We have been set free by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we pray, I want to close in prayer. Went a little long, sorry for that. If there's something this morning that you want to give to the Lord, I'd like you to stand up. Something you just want to give to him. You don't have to tell anybody. It's between you and him. I don't know about you, I'm always giving something to the Lord. Beside a hard time. Father, I thank you for those who have stood. And Lord, you see our need. You see our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us to be emancipated, to be liberated, to be set free. And Father, we all come to you today and Lord, by faith, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin.
but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And Father, whatever it is that we need to give to you today, Lord, we do it by faith. Thank you for giving us forgiveness. Thank you, the God who gives us new beginning and new hope. And Lord, how can we ever declare hope and freedom to the world if we don't have it in our lives? So Father, I pray your blessing in a full, rich way for each one this morning that has offered up their, their lives, their heart. They've opened up themselves. Lord, fill us by your precious, blessed spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.